Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Hey, Miguel Iterate, Mike Davis, the MMA detective, back here on the Lights Out podcast. And Chris Lytle has us on assignment. Once again, we're in deep dive territory. And uh, we're back on the West Coast with another one of those West Coast warriors. We've got Rich Crunkleton joining us. And uh, Mike, Rich, how you guys doing? Hey, guys. Thanks for joining Rich. us. Rich. No problem. Rich, Thanks for having me. You've got a real interesting story in the fact that you grew up in Florida, did a lot of training in California, went to Mexico, or went to, went to Russia, and now obviously you're back in the States. Mm-hmm. So... In between then, there's there's like a lot of like there's a lot of like points that we gotta kind of connect. Okay. One of the things is your entry into fighting. One, you won Greco-Roman state championship in high school, correct? Um, I did the Greco-Roman like USA wrestling, like leading up to high school. My I actually I actually started that when I was about ten. Okay. Did you take a state championship there? Yeah, I want. I probably won about five or six. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Leading up to high school. Okay, now, did you have a reputation for street fighting growing up? Oh God, I yeah. Around here, uh, it, we live in a little small party town, and uh, the weekends are just full of uh. Well, back when I was young. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that, that was the reputation I was told that you had. Um, you got a black belt in, ju- in judo. Who is it under? I studied at the Daytona Beach Judo Club. And my sensei's name was James Northcote. Um, that was just here locally, where, okay. by where I, where I grew up. All right. Was your first fight, which is not on your record, Steve Hall? My first fight was probably 1999. It was uh, in New Orleans versus Ray Tortorico. Okay, wow. so that the WEF seven, October mm-hmm. 9th, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Okay, so Ray Tortorico. When you fought Ray Tortorico, you hooked up with Jamie Levine. How does that come about? Oh God, um, I think I had been doing some like shoot fighting events down in South Florida and, and met some of these Brazilian guys and linked up with Jamie Levine that way, maybe. Um, and I just started asking, Hey, how do I get involved in this? Like, how, how do I, how do I sign up? Okay. All right. So with Jamie Levine, um, one, he's a notorious promoter. We've got about a half dozen stories of people talking about him on here. You also signed a management contract with them. Was it like La Amistad? What, what was the name? You know, back then, I didn't even know what that was all about. I just fight. I wasn't even getting paid anyway, so it wasn't like the management thing was important. <laughs> Here, could you lay it out for us? Here, let's relax like, I, a little bit. Jamie Levine, notorious person with somebody that has got a huge reputation of uh, – kind of being under underhanded. Um, how does it come about? How I mean, be, 
beginning, middle, end with Jamie Levine? Well, I just remember like fighting and winning and him being like, hey, here, uh, he'd give me like a box of VHS tapes from the event. And he's like, you can sell these on eBay. <laughs> and I didn't even really, so I was fighting on the some of the same shows with like Crazy Horse. And he's like, oh, I got to go get paid. And I was like, wait a minute, you're getting paid. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So he'd give you VHS tapes to sell online. And I still have it. I still have the all the v, WEF. That's funny. All the old uh, VHS tapes. But, but I, I, so how'd you get there though? Like in 1999, you're you're a kid. You're 19, 20 years old. But did you play sports before that? Were you? Uh... I mean, I wrestled. I wrestled my whole life, and like my judo, all my judo was when I was a teenager. So I I started wrestling when I was about ten or eleven. So by the time I was. Uh, Graduating high school, I was already like getting into the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and fighting. Okay. When I had my first fight, I was in Pensacola wrestling in college. All right, I got you. So, hmm. so you went to college, right? You didn't like have this, like leave high school and go practice and try try to make it in the world of fighting type. That you did college and everything. Uh, I wrestled two years in college, then I pretty much moved to California to pursue. Uh, okay. Cool. I linked gotcha. with a crazy Bob Cook and the AKA team out there. Right. How, how'd you miss the the ATT group and and like all the people in Florida? There was a, a substantial amount of people in Florida. Dean Thomas, people like that. Did you run into any of them? Well, I used to train when I was a teenager. I, I trained with Dean Thomas. Okay, I got you. Dean Thomas. So that- he had a gym with Paul Rodriguez in Orlando, yeah. and. Um, I was driving from New Smyrna. I was driving about an hour each way to train with those guys after school. Yeah, Mikey, Mikey Cardoza, Mike Lee, those guys, huh? I knew uh, I was on all the same shows with Mike Lee and Mikey Cardoza, but I never got a chance to train with any of them. Uh, okay, cool, cool. Well, that's cool. Good. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, Ray Totorico, did, did you know at that moment that your life was about to change and you were about to go head first and see the world in regards to mixed martial arts? Uh, I mean, no, not at the time. Like, I was just, I thought it was cool. And I was just pumped to be able to get in there and, like, be one of the five that I always thought, you know, that I looked up to. The, the sport that I wanted to be involved in. Um, when was the Steve Hall fight then? Steve Hall. That was probably, I think that was in Bradenton. That was probably like fight number four or five. Okay. Because there was a huge weight difference between you two. Yeah. I don't even remember ever having weigh-ins. We never, <laughs> I think, I don't think I had, I was even in, a, in an actual weight class till like my eighth or ninth fight. Well, yeah. That's kind of like what Jimmy Levine did. So with Jamie, did you notice like, did you notice like how he was managing the sponsors and money people, how he kind of keep them uh, siloed in order that they couldn't communicate with each other? Or like, would he tell you to say you're getting paid this much rather than that much? Was he playing those games with you? Yeah, I never really got what I was. I mean, yeah, it was pretty shifty. I mean, he was like, supposed to be the manager and I was pretty much exclusively in his own events. 
So I think it was. And and he's paying you less than Crazy Horse. Let's just say that. That's God, yeah. And then when I was winning, I I didn't know you would get a fight a win bonus. Like I I didn't know there was like show money and win money. Like I remember Crazy Horse telling me, "Hey, did you get your win money?" And I was like, "What are you talking about, man?" <laughs> and then I went and and I was like, "Hey, man, am I supposed to get am I supposed to get money to win?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give that to you later." Wow. What was Crazy Horse like in the locker rooms back then at the beginning of his career? We were always buddies, man. We were both from Florida. So whenever I'd be, whenever I'd show up at one of these fights, I would kind of just like gravitate over to him. Ocala is not too far from where I was from. So uh, he was, but he was always kind of like cool, like that gangster type dude. Now, well, is he I, as outrageous I, then as he is now? I think in, uh, maybe a little bit calmer years ago in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, let me ask you, the, the, you know, Levine obviously teaches you a lesson about promoters and things like that, but you're also learning, you know, at a pretty high level because the dude had talent on his shows how did you uh, meet bob cook and how did you decide to head to head out to cali um well i had a girl i i had a fiance in california and i actually moved out out there kind of just to get out and see the world a little bit and to be closer to her and uh i was in fresno and i actually randomly popped in a gym and i guess they had told bob cook hey we got this guy from florida here and uh, he popped in to meet me, and then, like the very next week, I was moving in with him. Who else was in that house with you? Um, well, I was living with some, some friends of the family in Fresno, but when, uh, when I went with Bob, probably a week later, it was uh, we, it was like a big storage warehouse, and we lived in the like the office build out. It was me, Crazy Bob, Josh Thompson. Paul Bonatello, um, Pat Minahan. I don't know if you know who that is. Okay. And uh, there was guys in and out, but those were the regulars. Was Frank Shamrock there at that time? Frank Shamrock was was coaching. Yeah. When I when I first moved out, when I first moved to San Jose, the AKA scene was still was still frank shamrock usa he was running the uh the fight team and all the like all the grappling stuff was maury smith there um no no okay um, this is post alliance uh, okay i know I, how was go ahead no that's all right all right so with, with frank shamrock how was your relationship with him uh he was cool we were buddies you know we just he was just like coach i i think that when i first went out there was right around the time he fought tito ortiz in the ufc and knocked him out um we had a good we had a good relationship you know he was like not one of our close buddies he was like you know the in the coach seat him and he and josh thompson had uh they just never got along those two (laughs) 
Yeah, I do remember some stuff about that, but I don't really know what it was what it was about. Like I was there, but I don't know. And then and then there was the transition where Frank left and started his own gym. So I I didn't really know the the higher ups, the politics of it all. I was just kind of like the bottom guy on the totem pole. Uh, did did he try to recruit you to go over to his own team? No, I he I know I lived with Crazy Bob, so I he probably figured that you know my, I was loyal to to Bob, but I, Kelly Delonte went over with him. He was in he was running the kids program at AKA, and uh, he so I I definitely know he he was taking some he was taking some people, but he never talked to me like that. Hmm. That's interesting. So. And your third fight, Scotty the Body Johnson at World Valley Tudo Federation, um, August 26, 2000. Mm-hmm. There was a 165-pound weight difference between the two of you. How do you get talked into taking that fight? Well, the way they did it was we, w- we would show up at the fight, and they would just match you up. Like, there was no – I didn't know who – I was just I – w- I would go to the event, thinking like, God, I hope they match me up. I hope I can fight somebody. Like, I had no idea who would be there. and We didn't weigh in, so they would just be like, they'd look at everybody who was there and be like, hey, we're going to have him fight Scotty the body. <laughs> I mean, he, he's like an entire human being larger than you. Yeah, he was like a, a prison guard, and uh, I remember that. That was in Jacksonville, Battle Jacks. Yeah. And I was just thinking, man, I how cool it would be if to beat him in front of everybody. <laughs> you didn't think do you have anybody closer to my size, like anything like that? No, not her, not really. I, I, I always fought big guys. Oh. I always fought big guys on the beach and stuff. So I knew, and I like I said, I wrestled for so many years. I knew I could take him down. I could just get. Yeah, he had you mounted at one point, and the size difference was just ridiculous. Yeah, he tried to just squeeze my head off, apparently. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, shortly after that, it, it's pretty interesting. You get announced when you fight Leonard Spades as team rival, and you got Jamie Levine and Lucas Jones in your corner. I couldn't find anything of that other than, like, the T-shirt company. I don't remember that. You know, I always wore rival shorts because they gave them to me. But um, who was the owner of that? Levine. I think it might have been. Oh, God, I can't think of his name. The guy who does. Yeah, whoever actually was the owner owner, I can't be sure. But rival was definitely like Levine would hand out clothes and packages. He was part of it. He owned rival. Was the guy who does this? Uh, are you familiar with the Copa America tournament? Yeah. Um, it's the guy, he's a good friend of mine. I can't think of his name right now. It's the guy who runs that. Okay. Champions okay. MMA. Okay. Rug, yeah, you're Rock. you're quite a run at this point, and then I you run Ross you, Kellen. You go, who? Okay. Ross Kellen. I think he owned the rival. Okay, but he and Jamie were business partners to uh to a large degree. I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
Probably at one point, yeah. I mean, Jimmy's kind of anywhere he can kind of weasel his way in. He they always did. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, in March 17, 2001, you fought a guy that there's absolutely nothing online about. Um, Zabiev Aber, Aber uh, Ides. This Zied. dude, dude, I don't even know, man. This dude was a freaking stud, bro. Yeah, he he was from Soviet Georgia. Apparently, he was on the world team over there and wrestled in uh, for Russia. He had you in in trouble and more like the really oh, the first time that you faced adversity, like real adversity, was him. We're still buddies. We still talk from time to time. He he was also bigger than you. Yeah. He plus he he was like I was still like I don't think I was even twenty yet. And he was he had like a so I remember being like man this guy's chest is so hairy. He's like he's like a man. <laughs> yeah. So dude was a stone wrestler had you on your back a couple times. Okay, yeah. One time he you guys were tough. falling. Yeah, one time you guys were falling out of the ring, and he's unloading on you. Uh huh. I remember he had a guy in his corner that I think was like, he had like a suit and tie on. I thought he was like Russian mafia or something. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. So you sign with La Amistad. Um, you fight a contract with Eric Kibler. You're you're promised five hundred. Uh, $500 to fight with an additional under the table, $500 for Jamie Levine. What, when do things kind of start going south with them? Well, that additional $500 still remains to be seen. <laughs> yeah, right. For sure. I don't think I'm going to get it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, uh, when did you start kind of looking like, man, maybe it's time to go. I mean, yeah, that just, that was, left a sour taste in my mouth and then i never even really cut ties i just moved to california and i was like dude i'm si i'm signing with these guys and i remember frank being like hey if he's got a problem he can call my lawyer and he nothing ever happened hey so hey i'm with you guys now let me ask you about Eric Hibbler. He he had beaten Cardozo. Uh, did you consider that a little bit of a revenge match earlier? Or Hibbler's an interesting guy. He has he has a bet record on on in MMA, but he he knew what he was doing. He 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 had a, a weak chin. He got knocked out a couple of times. I bet Rich knocked him out. But Hibbler used to train. Actually, Hibbler was the guy who trained Kurt Angle when Kurt Angle was threatening to come to MMA. It was with Eric Hibbler oh. and Pitt training so he's a pretty good guy why don't you talk about that match if you remember he was good i think i the, the pittsburgh kid i think yeah. that they called him he was really good and technical and I, I all i remember about that fight is just getting really exhausted and uh i never really did cardio and stuff i i would just kind of wing it and I remember that that kind of being the point to where I was like, man, I need to, I need to like figure out about uh, the the cart the cardio side of all this and figure out how to do the heart rate stuff. Okay. Yeah, and breathing too. Wrestling probably helped you with breathing. A lot of times, guys are holding their breath and right. they gas out. Yeah, I don't know. I just know I I never did a whole lot of running or any kind of like. <laughs> any kind of road work or anything, but after that, I, I did. Okay. Okay. 
Um, you were also at Ultimate Athlete 2, where you fought Bao Quash during the uh, the Mongol riots. Mm. Oh yeah. I think that I I think that there was only out of the whole card, I think I was fight number two, and that was the only two fights that took place. Like after that, someone was uh my buddy Pat fought before me, then I fought, then the riot started happening, and then they like they had guys with guns come and get us and take us to the locker rooms. And I remember there being like helicopters and police dogs. It was what, not, you, it was canceled. Could you bring us through what exactly you remember taking place? I got a question. Guys with guns, not cops, took you to the locker room. No, they <laughs> were like, they looked like SWAT sheriffs. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and apparently it was like a pretty heavy motorcycle gang. So like they had, they had the helicopter and like some heavy duty law enforcement there. But we were hiding in the locker room for most of it. So, what do you remember how it went down, like from your perspective? All I remember was that there was like, I couldn't see much, but there was commotion in the crowds, and like chairs being pushed around, and and it got pretty serious real fast. So everybody was like, "Dude, you got it!" They came and got us, and took us back to the. I guess I think there were some portable trailers that were locker rooms. Oh, well, now you fought Bob Quash, Chris Brennan's student. Um, that's not an easy fight either. That was my first fight out there. Well, that, yeah, that was my first fight on the whole California scene. How, how was he? Because he's a little smaller than you, I think, but but he's <clears throat> first time you weighed in. Well, that was 155, and I was like, this is cool. <laughs> um, I guess he was the favorite from what they told me, but Bob's like, man, you're going to beat this guy. And then, uh, yeah, he was tough. He was more like, more like a grappler. Um, kind of, I just remember being able to out wrestle him. Yeah. Hmm. Did you have any dealings with Chris Brennan? Um, I actually went down one, t one time with my buddy, Fred Hammer. He took me on a little road trip um, down to L.A. And I, I think I actually slept in his, Chris Brennan's house one night. Like <laughs> camped out. I did the his uh, West Side Grappling Tournament. So I got to meet him. He was a really nice guy. Very cool. That was about yeah. probably about it. Yeah, one of, our, one of our favorite interviews, to be honest with you. Okay, so, I mean, you go to Ultimate Athlete, big time riot. It's your entry into the California scene. What do you take back from this? Do you like, are you still comfortable there? Do you know this is like a one-time only thing or, or are you ready to kind of head back home? No, I was going to stay. I was in California. I wanted to, yeah, it was definitely a one-time thing. I wasn't going anywhere. Now, after the Levine experience, now you got, you know, biker riots and stuff. Are you still thinking that this, you know, is for fun and stuff like that? Or, or or does Bob Cook have you focused on, on a career yet? I mean, the riot wasn't that big a deal to me because it's, it's pretty wild here where I'm at in Florida too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh wow. That was exciting. But, uh, 
yeah, Bob's Bob was really smart, and yeah, he definitely had, you know, what am I trying to say? You I definitely, I he he definitely kept me focused on everything. What was next? What was next? What I had to do. You also you had a, a real good relationship with the Pain Inc. people at this time. I, I was told that you and Paul Boyntello kind of stood guard of the Pain Inc. booth at the riot in order to make that's sure right. that everything. Yeah, that's Brian Johnson. Uh, he trained a lot at AKA, and I I still talk to him sometimes. Some we were there at the Pain booth, and uh, some guys were trying to kick it over, and. Uh, Brian had had a stroke, you know, and he would, um, he was kind of there in a chair and I was like, Paul, let's get these guys. So like we were, we were kind of like guarding, uh, the pain ink booth and they were trying to kick, like trying to fight us and trying to kick it over. And we were just like tagging people. <laughs> Man, I don't know if that was or after no yeah it was it was after because during the riot that's funny so, so we you like, people still did they take your gloves off or what <laughs> oh yeah yeah it, i was like post fight hanging out gotcha you get signed to the wec shortly after that you fight uh from john hackleman's gym cruz gomez uh-huh so you got thrown into the thick of things. Like you start with Chris Brennan's gym. Now you're fighting John Hackleman's gym. Is that set up by design rather than kind of ease you in or throwing you to the wolves? Well, that was like, I guess all, all the local gyms in the Bay Area or in that area of California had their like guy. And uh, like the new guy that they want to like throw in there. Maybe I was like Bob's. Probably Bob said, hey, I got this new guy from Florida. And they wanted to throw me in there with whoever, I guess. It's kind of like a baptism by fire. Yeah. 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 But, but hold I, on a minute. Just, I, just putting things in perspective, though, at this point, even on the official record, you're, you're coming up on like 10 and 0 and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, that's not. You, you've probably been noticed at this point, too. Did, 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 was there ever that feeling, or are they still running you out there against the toughest guy they can find? I never really thought about that, man. I didn't really care. I just, I was just always looking forward to fighting. Okay. <laughs> I, That's excellent. <laughs> um, with the WEC, did, did you notice that there was kind of like a, a change in regards to uh, – level of competition as well as how shows were ran as compared to how you had uh, witnessed before or experienced before I should say I mean they yeah they made me make 155 <laughs> it's a novel thing they had weight classes yeah it, it was definitely more organized like it wasn't in a bar with no weight classes you know they I, I that was my first experience seeing like real organized Real organization in the fights was in uh, the early WEC days. Yeah, you probably had to have conversations with Crazy Bob Cook. Like, you mean I have to make weight? Yeah, I was like, well, I mean, I, I knew that would be eventually. But it wasn't a big deal because I've been making weight since I was like 10. Yeah. 
So Keurig Jens, Kip Kohler, they've got a business out in like Boston, Massachusetts. And every once in a while, they'd bring in like a high-end jiu-jitsu guy, you know, right from Brazil. At WEC4, you get a title fight against Luciano Oliveira. Uh-huh. He's from Team Pitbull, and he is like a high-end jiu-jitsu guy. Like in some people's minds, like you're a wrestler, this is your a huge test for you. Right. You want to walk us through it? I'm. I remember them. It was funny because I ended up submitting him, and uh, I was a white belt in jujitsu, but I was with like the Frank Shamrock grappling crew, and we were like, we don't need jujitsu. Um, Bob was like, no, this guy's legit jujitsu. You need to like, you need to sprawl and brawl. Don't let this guy get you down. We need to keep this on the feet. We need to like scramble up. Don't get in into any kind of like grappling situations with this guy. And I was that was the plan. And uh, real early on, we just got in this scramble, and uh, I ended up getting him in a triangle. And I remember my all my guys were just so shocked. We were like, they were like, no way. And I remember yeah. jumping up. After I won, I remember running over to Bob and being like, Jiu-Jitsu! <laughs> it was kind of because we, we didn't do it. So you're perfect 12-0 and 0 at this point. I mean, you've got to – where are you thinking that your career is going? I mean, you got to feel, like, invincible. I mean, I just wanted to – you know, my goal was to be in the UFC. So. Well – now, with, with Crazy Bob, you know, you got one of the real good guys there in, you know, the history of the sport in terms of managing people and things like that. What's mm-hmm. he telling you at this point? Like, is he telling you, you you got what it takes, let's bring you along, or, you know, is he letting you still rush into fights? Because Bob's, Bob's one of the good guys, right? Well, Bob and I were really close. Like, when I moved to California, I was uh, – I was like sleeping on his floor at his, at the, at the crazy Bob cook ranch. Like I I was sleeping on the floor next to a little wood burning stove in his uh, trailer. So we were like really close buddies. Yeah. And he, you know, he told me that, you know, if I, I, I could get in the UFC, like if, if I keep working hard. Yeah. Crazy Bob. Uh, he's one of those few names in the sport where people just have like an undying loyalty to him because he's just never done them wrong. Yeah, that's true. You know, looking back, Bob, I, I still hit him up sometimes. He, yeah. Like you mentioned when Frank left, like there's no way I would have ever left like that. Like Bob took me out of Fresno and I was, like I said, I was camping out in like one of his kids rooms, sleeping on the floor and uh, yeah, he he has all his guys' loyalty like that though. Yeah, if you're in the Crazy Bob crew, like you're you're hardcore Crazy Bob. Were you surprised that Frank left? You know, I I really don't remember. I I I, I didn't know what was going on as far as the gym management, and I think he he had disagreements with. Uh, with with Javier maybe I, I I don't know he he probably just wanted to do his own thing I, we us the guys on the team we didn't really know 
you know, what was going on above yeah. our heads. What was there a little in your because the thing with Frank, like you said, he beat Tito, which was his last UFC fight, right? And so at that point, I think he's kind of thinking, you know, he's the best guy on the planet, he should be paid. So and then he became kind of difficult and everybody's had little problems with him. Did was there any wind of that? Was did he have like a little bit of a bad attitude or or what what was your remembrance of that? You know, I really I really don't remember, man. Like uh <laughs> I, I don't think that I was high enough on the totem pole to be privy to what you know what what was what the gossip was the juice. Okay, that's fine. well. Here, when Josh Thompson you know fought in Strike Force, Frank said he he's the first openly gay fighter. There's no way that could have went over well in the gym, even no, though I, I it's obviously not true. Kind of beef, man, but I don't know. I know there was beef there, and I was just I, would, I maybe I maybe I'd be like, hey, what's going on? And people just didn't want to talk about it. Hmm. That's you know, it's honestly, I do if remember the gym it. operates that way where they're all telling you, hey, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an easy way to kill the BS, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Josh, Josh, and Frank, I think it was just like oil and water. But, but they they both have like superstar boxes they check off, you know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, they, so I think it's like that, you know, like peers kind of thing. Like, I think, you know, Josh probably didn't buy into Frank being the biggest superstar and Frank did, you know, so I think Josh thinks, that, you know, I'm going to be the biggest star here, especially back then when he was the punk, you know, I, I don't know, just my assessment. Well, there I remember there's a few situations where there'd be fist fights in the gym with Josh and a couple different people. <laughs> um, yeah, Josh didn't like to lose. Like, not a single exchange. I mean, that's the type of yeah, attitude he has. I, I remember there being fights that we had to break up in the gym. Um, God, I can't even remember who. I just remember there being, like, gym, gym brawls. And, and did Josh ever bring down Trevor Prangley? Who's his yeah. friend up Idaho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to meet Trevor. He's a hard-nosed guy, huh? Oh, yeah. A any oh, yeah. stories on him? You know, it's funny because I always, like, gravitate to the people that I meet that are foreign. So, like, where... Wh He's from South Africa, yeah. Yeah. Time I spent with Trevor, I was, like, learning a little bit. I get him to teach me, like, some, some bad words and, you know, his language. <laughs> um... I was probably always trying to like sneak up and take him to get a score, a takedown on him. So I could tell people. Yeah. <laughs> like from behind or something. Yeah. Yeah. Dishonest takedown that you claim oh, yeah. is real. Right. Oh, yeah. For sure. That's, yeah. that's the gym. Uh-huh. Um, well, you're on a roll right now. <clears throat> you're literally 12 and 0. The people at the UFC have got to be throwing your name around. Your name has got to be on a board there on a short list. And at WEC5, you walk in against Victor Estrada, and Victor Estrada starts to fight with an overhand right that almost puts you out. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember, well, the pressure was on for that fight because Josh Thompson had already beat him. And I think Crazy, I think Crazy Bob even fought him too and beat him. He fought, and Victor Estrada's fought everybody. He's got a, upside down record but he's pretty game 
Yeah, he was definitely like one of those real hard hitting Mexican guys. Like, uh, and he caught me. I remember right off the bat, he hit me and knocked me down. And that was all I remember. I was out. I was out. Out on my feet. And I think he saved me because he immediately jumped on a guillotine. And like, let me recover from this, from this TKO punch. Then he choked me asleep in the guillotine. <laughs> I was like knocked out twice. And if you watch the video close, like you'll see, like I try to stand up and then I end up on falling down both hands flat on the mat. And then his, I guess his arms blew up and he let me go or my head slipped out. But at that point, then I like recovered. I jumped up and I guess I was able to throw him into the fence and blew his knee out or something. His ankle. Yeah. 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 His ankle like this for sure would have been his biggest victory uh, on his entire record. Like, Career-wise, this would have been the pinnacle of his career. And he had you out twice. He had it in the bag, dude. (laughs) A lot of times, even with that Russian guy, man, I I feel like I look back and I had like a... Horseshoe. Like a horseshoe that like even when Like I would somehow end up getting the W when these guys had it. Victor Estrada especially because if like if the referee would have gotten a little better look of... He would have done his job. I was I was unconscious, and yeah, I can't even I watch the fight. I can say this is where I fell asleep. I can't watch it. <laughs> the thing in MMA is, if you fight ten times, one or two times, something strange is going to happen in there, and it's fifty fifty. Sometimes right. you're on a good side, strange happening. Sometimes you're on a bad side. You always seem to be on the good side, even like you know the body, you know Scott Johnson. Yeah. The guy the guy's literally 165 pounds heavier than you. I've I I've talked about this a million times that I feel like I had this this lucky rabbit's foot, man, and guys that could maybe destroy me in practice. Like every day, like I, I would end up winning a fight somehow. Now what well, you said there was a little bit that this was a big fight, that there was a little bit of pressure. Were you on your way to the UFC with a win, or was that still officially? Like, did they? Did no. They have okay. No. No. Even when I even when I fought in the UFC, I I think it was uh I took someone's place that was injured. Okay. Well, it's six okay. months later. Why why do you take so much time off in between this fight and your next bout? I think I would go home and like do the family thing and like. Yeah, take a couple months off or whatever. I would go home and just start living life and then like maybe maybe need money and be like, hey, crazy wild, I need to fight again. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I so, go back to and hang out. I had I I don't know if my, I had the kids yet or not yet. Okay. April 24, thousand three, you finally get the call. UC forty two. How does it happen? Does Bob Cook call you or does the UFC call you direct? No, I was actually watching some fights with Bob Cook in uh, Javier's house because uh, I I lived with Javier Mendez. 
and my wife was uh, like a nanny for his boys. So we li- we had a deal where we lived there. And Bob came over to watch the fights. And I, I, I don't remember who it was, but someone got injured. And uh, Bob was like, you know what? I think this is your shot. And he literally called Dana White and was like, hey, I got your guy if this guy can't fight so-and-so or whatever. And then within a few days, we talked, and then I was set to fight. Hmm. I think it might have been the guy that was, was up next for Hermes Franca or, or something. I, I can't remember exactly who, who it was. Okay. So training practices with Bob Cook, they're kind of notorious for having people getting injured in them. Yeah. How would you describe what takes place there? Dude, they just spar really hard and live and 100%. Like, I, I've i backed out of, like, four fights, maybe from with injuries. One day I got off the plane and literally tore, in, tore a ligament in my knee, like, right off the plane. I flew to California for, like, a six-week camp and uh, jumped right in. Well, I was dumb. I would, I would jump. I would just couldn't wait to get there and spar. Couldn't wait to get the, back to NAKA from from home and then i would i would always get hurt really like right away doing takedowns with josh thompson um they just spar really hard and they don't hold back and they're yeah there's a lot of guys getting hurt so there's nobody in there kind of governing those sparring like the the sparring practices because there's Crazy Bob and Javier would be watching, but also this is 15 years ago. Okay. So yeah. I haven't. That's fair. <laughs> Things were like probably a lot different then. Well, UC42, you get Hermes Franca as your opponent. What are your thoughts going into that fight? I just really excited that I finally got to, you know, fight in the UFC. That's what it had all been about since I started, since I was young. Did you watch a lot of tape with Bob Cook, or how does your... A little bit. I had already seen him fight on videos, but yeah, we we came up with a strategy. I watched some of his uh, early on, like, hook-and-shoot matches that he had done in Florida. But I was was already familiar with, you know, pretty much what he was going to do. You hit him with a lateral drop in the opening stanza. That might be one of the best ever in the UFC. That was my move and when I wrestled in high school and college, man. Yeah, that was impressive. But, uh, so in the second round, did you – Hermes goes for an armbar. Does it become dislocated or broken at this point? Dislocated. Okay. And then in the third round, is that when it breaks? You know, I have the second arm burn by Hermes. I have any broken bones? See, it was described online as a career-ending injury afterward. Well, it's because it dislocated, and then he put me in a kimura. So my arm was bent the wrong way, and then he took it in a three sixty. So it pretty much tore everything. So he took like the lower part of my arm and did like a 
360 from the top part. Oh, wow. So it, wasn't, it wasn't like breaking my bones. It was like trying to, like trying to twist the chicken bone off. Yeah. Oh my god! It tore all my ligaments. I had surgery pretty shortly after that. Wow! And how tight was this knee bar? Knee bar? Did you have me in a knee bar? Yes, in the first round. I don't even remember. It's <laughs> not that. Not very. If you don't remember. Uh, Oh, yeah, maybe I remember. Not very. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of, he was going from one submission to another. And then, you know, with your arm just completely mangled, you end the fight on top, punch. Yeah. I kind of had the mentality, like, uh, like I told you about the Brazilian guy, like, I didn't do jujitsu, like, I could just fight out of submissions. And I never, I had never tapped out, so I, I didn't. Re- I don't think I really uh, understood that at the time. Self-preservation. Yeah. 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 James Waring was, was the referee. But tapping out, like so, the knee bar was like, I did. I don't even remember it. But now, now you, this is a big fight. Right, this is like your step into UFC and stuff. It's Hermes Franca's debut as well. But if I'm not mistaken, the fight's in Florida. Did did you feel yeah. like you were the hometown guy, or is he the hometown guy? Because no, because the fight was in Miami, and that's where he's. You know, I'm from up northern in Florida. Okay, so he he was he lived there in Miami with a uh, you know Coconut Creek with ATT. Yeah, he he was the hometown favorite. Okay, that's what I wanted to clear up. Yeah. Yeah, James Waring was the referee. Uh, I, I think he let some of those submissions go a little too far. You know, obviously being a boxer, maybe he wasn't familiar with them. Maybe. Well, at one point he asked me, he, I don't know if you you can see me kind of look up. He's like, are you okay? And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> is, your, is your arms getting twisted around, huh? Yeah, it was, it was backwards. Um, what's interesting is is it's described I mean you have surgery you've got a pretty bad injury that you take 18 months off before you get back into the into the cage again but in between then in between then you take a grappling match against Gerald Strebent (laughs) yeah the Chris Brennan Nogi tournament that was at that West Side tournament I, I mentioned yeah yeah do you remember why they, they, that took place? There's a little bit of a backstory there. I was just traveling, and I was like, hey, I'll do the tournament. Sounds fun. From what I am told, it's um, Gerald's about to go to the UFC. He's, he's going to fight Josh Thompson. The rumor was that whenever you and Josh worked out together, that you had always kind of got the best of them, so they wanted to see how Gerald did in order to – Kind of determine uh, like how a, like a spy you mission. <laughs> you know, I actually remember hearing something like that, but it was totally random. Like I was going down to see my buddy Fred, and uh, I don't think that any of the guys at AKA even knew I was doing the tournament. Well, and, and the Brennan side, you, you can kind of see mad. them. I think they're. What are you doing? Why you get? You know, your your arm is not one hundred percent. Why are you doing a tournament? Jiu-jitsu. You don't even do jiu-jitsu. 
<laughs> so, so uh, Strebin, uh, you know, subbed you, and it kind of, mm-hmm. it, it kind of gave them the idea that the Josh Thompson fight would go Gerald's way in the UFC. Really? That's that's what I was told. I mean, I didn't care. I never. Huh. Let me think. I remember just doing it for fun. Like I wasn't training or in shape, like, and I could barely even like I couldn't even feel the nerves in my elbow were still like dead, and I knew like I'm like if he even touches this arm I'm tapping out because I just don't care. Mm-hmm. So I just did it for fun. He locked he he locked in on my arm, and I was just like I don't care. Fuck it, tapped out. I'm here to have fun. I was on a road trip. I didn't like I didn't go down there for the tournament. I just did it. Hey, that's like, that's, not, that's not your friend Fred Hammer. That's our friend Fred Hammer. Yeah. Just so you know, we're all friends with him. We love him. How do you guys know Fred? <laughs> but uh, did like streaming? I think you know, just a general assessment. I think streaming would like that kind of assurance and stuff. I, you and Josh seem to be cut from a different cloth. Did Did you even go back and talk to Josh when he signed to fight streaming about that grappling match? Did he even care? Not I think really. Josh. It wasn't connected at all. Like we never even talked about it. I'm sure they, and after the fact, I, I kind of heard like they thought I was going down there to like spy, but I, d- I didn't even plan on doing the tournament. I don't think when I went down there. Okay. I can see Brennan doing that math in his head though. I mean, he's, he's a pretty smart guy. Yeah. It looks like what it looks like, Rich. It does. somebody something and i i actually remember sitting down with uh eddie bravo and him being like yeah we got this fight coming up with josh thompson uh and he told me our plan is to like stand up and strike with him and and i was like really that's kind of weird it's almost (laughs) like he was telling me that because he thought i was like spying he wanted like Fuck me up. <laughs> I was like, hey, you don't gotta like lie to me, bro. Like I, I I'm not like spying. Like I know he's not like some kind of Muay Thai fighter. He's not gonna do what you're saying. <laughs> I was now, like, <laughs> you also Eddie also taught you the twister when it was kind of first, you know, coming to the forefront, the mixed martial arts scene. Did you have a little private with Eddie in regards to that? Oh, I don't remember, man. Maybe, maybe like at one of the fights, uh, you know, in one of the back rooms or something. I don't remember ever having a chance to grapple with Eddie Bravo. I know there was a lot of hanging out, um, with me and you know those guys, but I, I really don't remember that. I think he showed me some. I never even thought about that until you just said it. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's been so long. Yeah, <laughs> what, what he did with Hoyler is truly amazing. Like it was his coming out party. That was very cool. You know, a lot of times people kind of give him a little bit of flack for not continuing to um, compete, but mm-hmm. I think he's just he had a goal. He crossed that finish line. I mean, that was really his only goal of that ADCC tournament, which which he did. And then he concentrated on his family and then, you know, building an empire for them. Yeah, it's, right. it's amazing uh, 
amazing what he's done with himself since then. So WEC 15, Paul Jenkins, um, Hands of Stone, out of the Dogs of War from Wales. It's your first, well, outside of Hermes Franca, I should say it's your second international, third international opponent because you had Oliveira. Mm -hmm. You know, the guys from Europe are known for their stand-up, not really known for their, uh, you know, their ground game. How did you approach this fight? Uh, I know he had had like a hundred fights or something. Boxing matches, yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, I, mostly I, boxing. I just remember th uh, reading that he had had a ton of MMA fights, and he had a ton of losses. So, like any any time that I uh, would fight a guy that had a bunch of losses on his record, I just I would think, man, this guy, if it starts going not his way, he's okay with losing. So I could find a way to beat him. He's already lost 15 times. What's one more? It doesn't hurt as much. Yeah. It doesn't hurt. Tap out faster. You know, they'll just be like, oh, well, try again next time. I mean. Yeah, no, it makes sense. He's coming off. He was coming off losses to uh, Paul Daly, Juan Carnero, and Dan yeah. Hardy. So, so high level dudes. Yeah, um, I think you were sponsored by Konyo Fight Gear at this point. <laughs> Konjo. I think it's Konyo is how it's supposed to, like in the Spanish lingo. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know what? I remember that because I named my dog Konjo after that. <laughs> A little pug. But I thought it was Konjo. So I'm, I was saying it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you called your dog the wrong name. You know, in the second <laughs> beginning of the second round, um, Paul Jenkins, he's, he's actually, when he wins, it's always by knockout. Like he's just, he's got like power to him. Beginning of that second round, he caught you. And you can kind of see it. He thought every other time I landed this, the person fell. And then when you bounce back from it, he was kind of like you had said, he was defeated. Crazy Bob used to tell me that if I don't get rocked early on in the fight, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like I always like I would always have to get like a big shot and then be like, ah, now I'm going to get you. So July 4th, 2005, you've got your first, you have your first child. And on July 9th, you fly up to Canada for freedom fight against mm -hmm. James Martinez. That was kind of a notorious event as well, that those freedom fights. Really? Canadian bikers. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think the owner eventually went to jail. Really? I never heard about any of that. Okay. They're Canadians. <laughs> I don't think I... Yeah, I don't remember. That was actually the only Freedom Fight event that I had ever even heard of. The one I was in. Yeah, Dennis King cut his teeth up there as well. Mm. It was a good fight. It was a pretty, pretty cool organization. James Martinez, you got a huge slam in the beginning. You ended up winning by KO. Um, 
And then January 13th, you're back in the WEC with Nick Ertl. Uh-huh. He was, uh, I think he was a Caesar Gracie guy. Yeah, yeah, Caesar Gracie. Yeah, I mean, it was there was like another trial by fire type, type out. Yeah, I think that was his retirement fight too. Yeah. So how how's the pay going at this point? You know, you've been keeping a real good record. The the UFC didn't call you back, but this is around the time they were emphasizing the WEC for your weight class and stuff like that. Are you are you making money? Are you you are you having to do something else at this point? You know, I actually had um, I actually had the, a decision of the UFC contract and the WC contract when when they took over the WC. I actually chose the WC contract because it was more money. Gotcha. So they signed you to a better deal than the UFC would offer. Yeah, they did. And the money wasn't. You, you're kind of bouncing around at this point too. 2006, you go and uh, you start coaching at the Daytona MMA in Florida. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of going back and forth to California. Why wouldn't you pick a spot to live? Well, I opened that gym in Florida. Okay. So at that at that point, I was pretty much living in Florida, and I opened my own academy. Um, and I was flying to California for my camps. Okay. For fight camps. So I was always going back in the station in Florida. So, so how long were your camps? Were you doing like the full six weeks or are you shortening it to four or what's the deal? Probably four or five, between four and six. Okay. And then, uh, you know, the WEC, you're, you're right in line for a title fight. Like they're really giving you a push. They're fighting you often. And uh, WEC 21, you fight Adam Lynn from Subfighter MMA. Mm -hmm. That team was pretty stacked. Adam Lynn. Yeah, yeah, Adam Lynn, which was a fight that people, a lot of people had thought that, you know, this is the time that this guy gets exposed. Um, Subfighter MMA had a bunch of, like, they had a huge gym full of guys. I think Diego yeah. Bautista was on it. I always thought he was going to go somewhere. You know, I think that's another guy that Josh had already beat. So the pressure was on that I needed to beat him too. If I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly. I think Josh had already beat Adam Lynn. Um no, my other part my other teammate, Pat the Puppet, Minahan, had beat him the night I fought Bal Quatch. Okay, I see that the gathering, yeah. Yeah. It was like Team AKA versus Team Next Generation. Gotcha, yeah. Now, is Jay Harrion on your... Where's Jay Harrion? Is he on that team or am I mistaken, Mike? Who? Jay Harrion? H-I... Oh, Jay... Yeah. I think he fought uh, another one of my teammates, uh, Eric Deuce. Okay. Who was like a Team Foxcatcher wrestler. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like on, the, on the Japanese Olympic team. Wow. And he lost that night, which blew my mind. Um, you end up beating Mike Joy. That guy was. I mean, the amount of abuse that that guy took was 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 incredible. He was tough. Um, yeah, and then shortly after, in two thousand. I mean, shortly after Mike Joy, 
Kurt Pellegrino and Hermes Franca join you over at the Armory to form a, like a new team. No, that here's how it happened. The Armory was Hermes Franca's thing. Okay. It was down in Jupiter, Florida. And what after I fought him, I started like uh well, my opinion of the whole jiu-jitsu thing changed. So I went, so I actually went down there and contacted him and uh, started training with him. Then I was going to open my own gym up where I'm at near Daytona. And I asked those guys if I could open up like an affiliate gym since we were training together. So I opened the Armory of Daytona Beach. The Armory... Okay. It was not Jupiter. That was her. That was Hermes and Kurt and uh, Matt Wyman. So I kind of opened up a sister affiliate. I, I was affiliated with with them up in Daytona. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Did you and Hermes bond after his after your fight? Is that what took place? Well, we just became uh, buddies, and he ended up bringing. I was driving down there any free chance I had to train with, with those guys, him and Kurt. And uh, at that point, I was pretty green in, in you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so I was learning. And he ended up bringing a, a little Brazilian guy to train there, and I ended up stealing that guy as an instructor at my gym. And he was lived with me for three years, and that became like my jiu-jitsu master. Oh, wow. That's really cool. That's really yeah. cool. Um, you're obviously on the fast track. There was rumors at this point that did you ever roll with Matt Linland? Yeah. Yeah. How did those sessions go? You know, that was actually before. That would have been before. Oh, my God. That would have probably been 90, I actually. He may not remember this. But it was at it was at the Team Quest gym in Gresham, Oregon. Okay, and we were doing like shark bait takedowns, and I actually landed a, a lateral drop. On Matt Linland. On Matt Linland, I threw him right up, threw him, and he was like, "Good job." <laughs> that I feels. Like, I was like, "Wow, hell yeah." Hey, I, I got a, qu a quick question for you. you. You mentioned you swiped the Brazilian instructor. What was the guy's name? I'm sorry. His name was, we call him Cheetah. Because he's really little, like uh, Tarzan's little buddy, Cheetah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but that's his nickname online and everything, too. His name is Ricardo Barros. And uh, he had come down to train with Hermes and everything. and From Nova Uniao, yeah. Yeah, he was Nova Uniao Black Belt. I mean, it was, and it wasn't bad. Like Hermes was like, "Oh, that's cool." You know, it wasn't like I really stole, stole him, but okay, uh, cool. they let they let him come up with me because I don't think they had a full time job for him, and we really needed him. So that's cool. Then I didn't have to drive to Jupiter every, you know, every week. Makes sense. So, so with your fight against Razor Rob McCullough, this was uh, so hyped. It was so hyped up. What was your plan going into this fight? I don't know. You know, I never really would have a. I don't know. 
I would never really go out there with a plan. I would just go out there and like try to fight. So, I mean, maybe after that, I thought more about I should have game plans. I mean, um, I, I thought I, I thought, I mean, in the beginning, I kind of like took it to him. I, I cut his eye and uh, landed a couple of head kicks or whatever. I guess I thought I could out kickbox a kickboxer. Now, but at this time, this is like 2007 now, right? So, like, by this time, AKA is sort of blossomed, hasn't it? Isn't Fitch there by now? And certain, yeah. Certain so at this point, like game planning and things like that is like normal for that school as far as like expectations. How come yeah. how come letting you go in there cold like that? No, I probably just I mean we had an idea. I probably just didn't stick to it. Maybe. Okay. Okay, I understand. I mean you to get like Razor Rob's Razor credit. <laughs> Yeah, I put I, I cut you off. I apologize. But to Razor Rob's credit, he counterpunched somebody that had no business lead punching with him. It was, I mean, he never even tried to shoot for a takedown. It was, uh, you know, a brilliant move on his end. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I always did. I would always just try to run out and punch the person first. Yeah, yeah. He was you know, better. You know, there's nothing more dangerous than a fighter coming off a loss, especially when there's not many had by them. And mm -hmm. you and Sergio Gomez both had that distinction. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you guys were both quite accomplished. That was a war between you two. That was at WEC 33, March 26, 2008. Mm -hmm. That was like the bloodiest fight I've ever, I've ever had. That was like, I remember wearing white shorts and they were just completely red. Yeah. Afterwards, it was just, he fell on top of me and it was, I remember just, he was bleeding in my blood, was just pouring in my mouth and my eyes. It was nasty. Well, what you yeah. kind of want to punch? Um, I had him against the fence and I, and I, and I elbowed it. I threw an elbow, he turned his head. So, it cut him right in the back of the head. He, it, um, just, it immediately just started pouring everywhere. It was all over. It was like there was no more grappling because it was just like slip and slide. We were both yeah. completely wet with blood the whole fight. Yeah, it was, it was, they were soaked. And, you know, that wound for the next two years continued to open. That guy really? had more antibiotics. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that was, yeah, that haunted oh. him. He, he he passed out during weigh-ins too. With at our at our event, yeah, he Sergio passed out at weigh-ins. I wasn't sure that that fight was going to go. They even informed the doctor, and um, the WBC doctor told him just stop cutting weight. Don't worry about it. Stop cutting weight. Yeah. And he's like, man, screw that. I'm making weight. So yeah, he actually passed out, hit his head, huh. and was knocked out for a minute. Yeah, they even called nine one one. I never heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you kept landing a takedown after that or during that fight, and they just couldn't figure out how you were closing the entry. I believe you actually pulled Sergio and Brian Garrity aside, and you kind of showed them how you were 
You know what? I do remember that. They said uh, it was the treetop takedown where you put the leg up on the shoulder. Yes. I I think I remember back in the locker room there, they pulled me to the side and they were like, what is that? What is this thing you're doing? And I showed him. Yeah, Garrity still teaches that and he gives you credit, I might add. Really? Yes. Yes, That's cool. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, Your fight with Donald Cerrone got canceled as well as... uh, yeah, Mark Pelizewski. What was happening with you physically at this time? Um, I literally had already been in California for probably three weeks. Well, I, I don't remember exactly how long. The fight was close, like within a, maybe a week. And at AKA, we do this, uh, the whole team does this bike drill on the Airdyne. And uh, I literally was stepping off the bike from going full bore and the pedal crushed my foot. Man. So oh, I, I was supposed to fight cowboy. It literally just crushed my foot. And, uh, you know, I had pulled out from several other injuries, but Dana white was actually at AKA that those few days and saw my foot. And he was like, dude, you ain't fighting anybody. It was all black. And it was like, Broken, black and blue, like looked like a big meatball. So that was for the Donald Cerrone fight. That's why I had to pull out of that. How did you get along with Reed Harris? I liked him. I liked him. We always talked and made jokes. Like we 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 were friends. <laughs> I always got along well. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. Um, when you had fought Dave Jansen from Team Quest, um, did you ever get to roll with him? Like you had mentioned, you you know, went with Lindland. Did, did you guys roll with each other prior to this? There, that there's there's like a twenty year window between the two. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I I I went to Team Quest like pre any before any like. I wasn't even, I didn't have any of the kids. That was when I, that was when I first went to California. I just did a drop in. Dave Jansen, I'm, I'm thinking 17 years in between. I remember there being one other guy there. I think his name was Dennis the Piranha. I remember he was there when I went. Dennis Davis, maybe. Okay. His nickname was the Piranha. Him and Matt Lindland were there. Yeah, and then um, after, shortly after that fight, you lose a decision to Dave Jansen, which kind of surprised a lot of people. Um, you get cut by the WEC after going seven and two with them. Is that a surprise to you? Um, you know, I don't know, man, because I had a bad run of luck with the injuries, and uh, I always just had like a rain cloud of injuries following me around. I was always getting hurt. And by that time, I was probably spending more time in Florida. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. You also pulled out a fight against Matt Serra. UFC 47.5. Matt Serra. I don't know. I don't don't know if that was me. (laughs) What made you move to Russia? 
Well, I have two kids, but their mother was Russian, so I kind of spoke a little bit. And uh, I always wanted to kind of visit there. And uh, Crazy Bob hit me up one day and was like, hey, you want to go to Russia and, and work? And I was like, uh, yeah. So I just and then from that day, a week later, I was in Russia for the first my first three month stunt. Well, what city? Moscow. Oh, cool. So did Russia you have Moscow. kids with a Russian prior to moving there? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I messed up. She, but but I met her in the states. She was already in, in America. Okay, so she left to go back to Russia. No, I I I met a girl in Russia and had uh, two babies' mamas, basically. Oh, okay. I, I, it happens. I, I had twins over there. They're they're six years old right now. That's awesome. That's extremely cool. Um, pension for Russian girls. That's okay. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm cured. I got you. But let me let's a little bit more serious. AKA at this point though, like I, I mentioned they blossomed. What would talk about the first time you laid your eyes on Kane Velasquez? Kane Velasquez, I was staying in an apartment with Crazy Bob and uh Kane had just moved in. I'm wondering if you already know these stories that I'm going to talk. Maybe I do. Oh, my God. So I would, I was kind of like the Joker. I would just like mess. And at that time, Kane was like new. And very and he quiet. Was, he was sleeping on like a blow-up mattress. That's so a I was, giant human being for a blow-up mattress. Yeah, I know. Um, actually, kind of like that Matt Lindland story. I have, I have a claim to fame. With uh, Kane Velasquez, and I'd like to say it on the air. <laughs> hit us, um, hit us. One time, I tapped out Kane with a Darce choke. Come on! And then I ran around the AKA screaming, <laughs> "Champion! I'm the champion!" And he said, "No more, Mister Nice Guy." Oh! <laughs> but it was legit. I did get I did get one legit top on Kane from the bottom <laughs> from the bottom inside control. I slipped out and topped him with the Dars. What was it like rolling with or uh, being in the same room with Mike Kyle? Mike Kyle, you know those guys were a lot bigger than me. He was cool. I always got a long roll with Mike. And he actually came and fought in Russia one time, and I and I hung out with him there. Years later, um, I think he was even on a couple of the same early WC cards as me. But we got along; we were buddies. What was what was the job in Russia? Were you teaching jujitsu, teaching fighting, or was I was teaching uh, MMA? I was doing, you know, I had jujitsu classes. I even did a wrestling class, just kind of like a full time trainer job in a, okay. in a big MMA gym. In Dude. Moscow, did you run into any Sambo competitors? Was that a, anything? I, you... Dude, I trained with all kinds of Sambo guys. I learned a lot of, like, uh, my guys here in my gym now love it. I, I teach these Slicer series, and I, I got to I got to learn a lot of a lot of stuff like that in Russia from from the from Sambo World Champions. 
Did, did you go to the Moscow? The, I think it's Moscow 70s, the big Sambo school. Um, I I never trained there. I went there. I, I never actually went and did Sambo practices. They would come and train at the gym where I was working. It was okay. it was one of the more popular MMA gyms. So the, the older Sambo champs would come in and hang out and like grapple with us. Okay. Cool. That's a cool experience. What about Chesh Kaschuk? He was there at AKA. He's closer to your size. They they had to throw you in there with him. I I was able act I was actually one time <laughs> through him one time in the same lateral I got Lenland in. Really? It's kind of one time. I'm not gonna say I cannot wrestle Josh Koscheck because he would we would do these marathon wrestling days. It was ten minute wrestling rounds for two hours. <laughs> and oh. that that was probably the one takedown I got on him ever. <laughs> wow, you gotta pick but and choose, yo. Like, kind of hit me on the, and he was like, "Good stuff," and I was like, "Damn, got him." <laughs> yeah, that's good. What about uh, what about Phil? Time. What about Phil Baroni? Phil Baroni, you know, I think I sparred with him MMA, like MMA sparring hard. I don't know. I, they may have thrown me in there like he would had a fight close. They may have used me as like one of the one minute, uh, a fresh guy every minute. Okay. Did you and ever go out with him? Did you ever hang out with him? Ah. Uh, you might have to. You might have to refresh my memory, man. <laughs> I don't, well, I mean, he's kind of notorious for either getting in trouble and you know doing I, crazy stuff. You know, I have a picture with him. And we were both like, ah, and I can't, <laughs> I, I can't place where it was. I remember okay. he did come to AKA to train with, with, for, for a fight, but I don't think he was a regular. He kind of right. came in. Yeah. Phil did that to everybody. That's why I, sometimes really? he leave with the best impression. That's why we were wondering if he burnt anything into your brain there. No, he's kind no. of a hard guy to forget. I don't think so. He was just a real, real, real muscle bound dude. That's all I remember. Uh, he, he seems like kind of the type that'd be real grumpy most of the time. He kind of, I just remember thinking he was like a Jersey Shore looking guy. Yeah, he kind of had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like that. The, the I'm from the like a small Florida. Yeah, he's from Long Island. That's what you're yeah. getting this New York sound. There's yeah. a lot of personality there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are you doing now? Are you still in the game? Um, I own my I own a gym right now here where I live. It's called New Smyrna Beach Mixed Martial Arts. Um, I'm 42. I, I spar and I grapple every day. So I'm still doing it. Yeah. Well, you, you, you got out of the game young. Are you... Uh, 36. Okay. Okay. That's, I, I do. Maybe I, I did the math wrong, but still, it's like, uh, do you still get that kind of anxiety about wanting to do it? Or are you over it? Or how you feel it? I mean, I know 42 is. It's old. <laughs> yeah. But, but there's still guys that, that do bare knuckle and 
stuff like that. Did you ever get the bite to to come back and try one more, or are you are you satisfied? I'll say maybe. I I consider it, and it would be fun. But and I do I spar a lot, and I'm like, man, I think I could probably still do something. But uh, you know, I I still have a bad knee that I need to get fixed. So we'll have to see. That's excellent, okay. Miguel. I just got one more question. It yeah. looks like uh, officially your last fight was at a show called the Battle of Moscow. How was it uh, fighting in Russia? What was what was going on in that show? Um, I well, I I got knocked out cold real early. That that's so I don't not, I don't really remember much about it. <laughs> but the whole experience. Who was Fight Nights? What what kind of show is Fight- that? Where, the big uh, promotion over there, and I just always kind of wanted to go and fight in Russia. You know, I, I I didn't have, and I was the head trainer and the head coach. You know, with in a gym where there was just like a bunch of you know your everyday Joes, so it probably wasn't smart for me to take the fight. I wasn't like, I didn't have a camp like I did at AKA. I just kind of was sparring with a bunch of my students. Uh, and most yeah. of my most of my camp was just losing weight was was running and uh but I just had it in my head oh I want to fight in Russia cuz I'm here and I want to say that I did and now I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Good. It's good. I'm just lucky that on YouTube it's hard to search because it's written in Russian. Oh, okay. is it that bad? Is it that bad? Yeah. Oh. I just tell people now it's not even on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it is what it is. I mean, you jump in there a bunch of times, something's going to happen. You know, sure. it is what it is. No, no, you know, the jet lag too. That's not an easy flight. I've done it a lot of times. It's about nine hours each way. Yeah, that's not easy. You know, the time difference and the language yeah. is so different. Well, I speak fluent Russian. Do you really? Yeah. <clears throat> Pretty fluent. Pretty fluent. No, yes, you've never taken a class just from living I mean, there and listening. I took Russian here after, uh, you know, after I my first involvement with uh, my older kid's mom, but uh, it really made the difference living there. Once I once I was there and and <clears> after, <throat> I really learned it. I mean, my my kids that live there don't speak English, so you just wow. Speak yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's I wild. Get a, I speak pretty well. Uh, cool. I'll tell you this. The fighting didn't kill your brain cells because that's not easy, man. I, I, I've been there a few times, and I just – I look at it, and I'm like – I stop at the alphabet, dude. That, <laughs> it's just intimidating. Because I can't ever not lose my car keys <laughs> or my wallet, but I can speak Russian, so. That's a while. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Rich, thank you so much. We sincerely appreciate your time in a walk down memory lane. And, um, I mean, what you did in the sport was, uh, yeah, I, I think it's underappreciated, which is why we had asked uh, Fred Hammer to connect us with you. Heck, yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate yeah, it. Man. Nice to meet you, and uh, take it easy. Well, Mike, we got Rich Crockleton, another one of those West Coast boys who's in Florida, too. I, I always associate him with California, but Rich Crockleton is in the books. Well, Crockleton was one of the first guys that, kind of heard of us and i got some messages from him you know i got a family 
you know, I don't want any issues with this. It was, you could see there was a little bit of hesitation in the interview. I uh, called Fred Hammer as well. Hammer had to calm him down. I think there's a reason he doesn't do a lot of interviews. You know, he's got a comfortability problem. But at the end of the day, like the guy's, the guy's an actual living legend. I mean, he's been in there with some of the best in the world and been in some of the best rooms too. Yeah, you know, went out with a real good record too. You know, so it's yeah. like you kind of get the feeling, and, and now in talking to him, you get the feeling that he was never somebody's A guy. Like, you know, the top guy being pushed at AKA, he really never was. You know, you had Koscheck and Fitch and Kane Vallad, you know, you had all these horses ahead of him and stuff. And he always seemed to lack a little bit of love, maybe in the matchmaking, maybe in the frequency of matches, maybe in the pay. He kept getting injured. Then there were injuries, which, you know, in that gym, you know, if, if you're not getting the love of, of and the main attention, then, yeah, you could probably get hurt. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think I think he's a guy that, you know, people sell short because he didn't fulfill his full potential, but I think he had amazing potential. And he put up, you know, a terrific resume. It's something that you really can't knock or anything like that. It's just – there, there's still questions he could have done more, maybe. Well, Frank Shamrock and, and Crazy Bob Cook both said he's one of the best guys they've ever had in the gym, which speaks volumes of the type of like the type of work he put in there. Um, but like matches, I would have liked to see him in Jamie Varner, Bart Pelizewski. Um, I mean, there was Cowboy Cerrone. There was a lot of fights there that would have been had. He just, uh, I think the injury bug got him, but. I mean, I guess an absolute legend of the sport. Um, it depends on, you know, what era, whatever you want to stick him in, you know. Him and Sam Stout would have been a terrific fight. You know, him and Spencer oh Fisher would have been a terrific fight. Him and uh, there was another kid just like that. Just guys that produce firefights. Roger Huerta from, you know, depending on what Leonard era. Garcia. It, it, what era you want to stick him in, uh, you know, he would have been a crowd pleaser just about any time. You know, so Rich Cronkleton's a guy who's going to go on my unsung hero list. little hesitant with us. I think he was a little worried. Um, the day before the interview, he was asking what types of questions. And I, you know, if you listened to our uh, interview last Monday, you heard us talk to uh, Trevor Prangley. He was like, yeah, the guy texts me in Africanese all the time. It's really funny. So I kind of mentioned that, and it just kind of like slowed our camaraderie down to a screeching halt. Like, wait a minute, what else do you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's going to happen. Not, not, not all these guys have been in front of interviews. And it's been a while, too. And, you know, maybe Richard thought, and hey, my interview days are done. So then you kind of wonder when one pops up. And I, don't, I didn't know him directly. I don't think you knew him directly. So, you know, you're being interviewed by people you don't know. Usually that's not the case one way or another with us, you know, yeah. one way or another, either me, you or Chris knows the guys that we've gotten so far in one way or another, or have ties to them that, that, that we can exploit. Rich Crunkleton was someone that didn't make it out of my radar. So I just, unfortunately didn't, didn't have any personal touch I could add, but you know, some people don't like my personal touches. So Maybe. this is for you guys. <laughs> But I, th I think we can agree he's uh, accomplished quite a bit at a time in this sport where there was no, you know, rules. So he fought the heavyweight. He fought, the, you know, the, the contest that had like kind of sketchy people running it. 
he's been stiffed. You know, he, he checks all the boxes that we like as fighters in regards to like interviewing. I mean, you got to have been stiffed. You got to have like a, a crazy coach at some point, you know, a promoter that just was really underhanded, some training partners that, you know, shouldn't have been in there. I mean, it's, he, he's got everything. He's got all of it. But, but, you know, in our comments, it really, really helps us out when the people are just constantly throwing things in there because it helps us with the algorithms. Um, a couple of people started posting some of our shorter stuff on Reddit. We've noticed like a lot happening there because of it. Like we had one, I think it was Mike Brown rolling with Marcelo Garcia overnight. We had 500 hits because somebody posted it on Reddit for us and it really helped out. I know on the underground forum, Mike Crane Crowbar, he helps us out quite a bit. MMA purist as well. The more you guys do that, the more we appreciate it. And it's like, I, we can't do more than just produce this content, pay to have it uploaded, make sure it stays edited it and stuff like that. It's, it's a lot for us to do. So when people make threads about it, like our, our work, dude, it, it really helps us out. And it's, and people tell us. Yep. Shout out to DeVries town as well. And uh, Mike, we got Rich Crunkleton in the books. That's it. And uh, we're in. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.